I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Lainey. Hi, it's Joanna. And welcome to the second episode of our first podcast together, um, which is still untitled. But we got lots of suggestions, though. We did, even from Yasik. What did Yasik say? Yasik thought it was so brilliant. And because our podcast is about work, he thought, wouldn't it be so great if your podcast was working title? And then I was like, well, um, there's actually a film production company called Working Title, British. Well, at least a lot of the British films that are you know, beloved by people, including Bridget Jones, um, are working title titles. So no, we couldn't use working title unless we wanted to get sued right. for copyright infringement. And he was a bit uh, a bit devastated. And he's trying to mumble right now, but... But thank you guys for uh, for continuing to... For liking the podcast and, and kind of getting what we're doing and being into sending us some names. Um... Uh, somebody here said it should be called Machinations, which is pretty cool. Uh, Machinations? Uh, yeah. 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 That's- that also sounds a little like, well, I mean, I think the the association with the word Machinations is kind of a little evil, little Taylor Swift. Exactly. Uh, well, I think that's what she, that was Robin. I think that's what she kind of had her eye on. Kind of into that. Okay. What else you got? I'm still stuck on working title because I wanted to talk to you about all the movies that were made under the working title <laughs> title. Um, what else? I will also say somebody said celebrity in industrial complex. Um, somebody, uh, Yasik, is this you, uh, said two girls, one pod. Um, at, that is uh, at Dude Ho McSisbro. Yasik, that is you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Dude Ho McSisbro, all right? <laughs> Um, and Love Actually, by the way, was made by Working Title. There you go. Didn't I have a great title suggestion the other day? What, what did we do with it? What was your title suggestion? I don't know. It was good. Work, um, um, oh, Working Class. Yeah, Working, working class. class. I like Working Class too. Maybe, right? What do you guys think? Um, I like Working Class, but we're, we're throwing it out to you guys. Vote on Working Class. We're going to put this up on the site too. Yeah, or something else. Keep it going. Let us know. Okay. Well, now that we still don't have a name. How are you? I'm okay. I'm a bit sick. You are a bit sick, which is unusual. Um, Not anymore since I live in Toronto. Well, you just uh, you just knocked back a clementine. That will help. Uh, I'm so excited about, about the Christmas season, but basically mainly the clementine season. I can go through a box in two days myself. Easy. But I'm kind of horrifying about the way that I eat them. I'm horrified too. I've been watching you for the last 15 minutes, uh, like peel your clementine almost obsessively. And it's, yeah, it is, it's kind of freaking me out. Yeah, I just don't like to bother with the pith. But anyway. Uh, with the who? Will, with the, you know, the skins of the each section. Why? Why not? <sighs> okay. I will behave and eat properly I've so never that, uh, we don't have clementine sounds on the podcast. seen someone take this long to eat a clementine. Like the beauty of a clementine is that it comes, the peel comes off so quickly and you can just finish a clementine in literally two minutes. As like, unlike an orange, which is, takes a lot, like a lot more laborious. I'm a but saver. You, you are laboring through this clementine, Jesus, which hey, I guess is the point of this podcast. You know when your ma uh, has you eat oranges? Yeah. Will clementine suffice? Yeah, but you want a full orange. I, I see. Yeah. <laughs> like a clementine is almost, will get the job done in a pinch. Right. But we're not talking about one clementine. It could be six. Yeah, but you still want like a, a pure orange. I see. Okay. Yeah. So we should get down to it. Okay. We are going to get down to it because actually our list of things to talk about this week was so long that we had to edit. 
because mm-hmm. there was surprisingly a lot of um, relevant content. But we want to start with, well, the biggest movie this weekend at the box office is going to be Moana. Yes. Actually, I'm sorry. I mispronounced that. I want to tell everybody it's Moana. It's not Moana. Good. It's Moana. Nice. Um, and of course, uh, the biggest name in that movie is The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I know you made a face just there because I know you're going to say something about LMM, right? I was thinking about it and okay. then I thought I would, I would not. But even you can't deny that the the most well-known name associated with the movie Moana is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. For Can we sure. please not fight about this? No, for sure. Which, who knew that was going to happen? Right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And it's a smash hit. And the reviews have been overwhelmingly amazing. Gushy, even. People yes. People are gushing. Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it yet. Sarah's seen it. Mm-hmm. She. It's hard for her to gush about anything. In particular, a movie that has singing and is animated, um, and she gushed. She's losing her mind. Yeah. Like, I'm, I thought that – she texted me right after she saw it, and for Sarah, the text was almost emotional. And I love a singing movie. I love a, you know, a good girl at the helm story. But the animation is spectacular. Even in the trailers, there's this one shot where you're underwater watching things be projectiled at you. It's shocking. Um, it's, it's, it's a big deal. And of course, I mean, the young star of the film was on the social this week. Um, her name is Ali'i Carvalho. And she's a delight. She is so fresh. And I mean, I, I can't wait for big things to happen for her. But undeniably, the big name associated with Moana is The Rock. And in particular, there was an LA Times article interview that happened um, – you know, right before the film came out, November 19th, Amy Kaufman, one of the the best LA Times reporters on the entertainment scene, I think, um, wrote this um, wrote this article about Dwayne. And I sent it to you, Duanna, because there were some parts of this article with some of the quotes either by him or his management that were about work, were about the management of Dwayne The Rock Johnson's work that we really, that, you know, really sort of resonated with us. So, well, let's be real here. You sent this to me repeatedly until (laughs) I responded. We usually have, what, like three to four different conversations going at a time, right? There's email. There's like kind of more worky email. There's a a live blog that we have with a a friend or a couple of friends. Um, And then there's us texting back and forth. And uh, yeah, you sent this at least twice to three times yes. over multiple venues, uh, basically until I responded. So what do you think, what was the thing that stuck with you most or first? Well, in particular, I really like the way that he acknowledged that he's not the kind of actor or celebrity that you and I on this podcast, if you had asked us six months ago, would have ever thought we'd be talking about. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. No, I expect him to star in action movies with numbers in the titles um, for ever and ever. And when somebody tells me he's the most wealthy person to be like, oh, absolutely, obviously, for movies 9 through 11. And so I think that what's interesting is that is reflected in The Rock's comments about himself. You know, he's talking about the fact that he's he was an outsider, didn't know anything about the business. Didn't know anything about um, – he was a wrestler. Right. Um, and so he came into Hollywood and so he decided, well, this is the approach I'm going to take. I'm going to knock on everybody's door and I'm going to ask them to teach me. Um, I'm new to acting. Therefore, who are the best coaches? Who are the studio executives I should know so I can understand how the business works on the marketing and publicity side, on the production side? Um, you know, and so he's walking us through his – approach, his perspective. Well, that's work porn right there for you. You love that. Like, who should I know? What should I ask? How can I ask them? It's a humbleness, right? Um, but it's even interesting because how many wrestlers even make their way into Hollywood? Like there's a, and what I know about wrestling is minuscule, mostly focused around what I learned in 1986 and, you know, conflated with Dylan boxing a few months ago. But, right. um, but that doesn't happen to be doing something that is kind of aggressive entertainment like wrestling and yeah. then transitioning to what is 
by anybody's account family friendly. Yeah. Is really that's an unusual path, right? I well, I mean, some people might say, what about Hulk Hogan? But Hulk Hogan just was Hulk Hogan. I mean, I really think that we can make the case that Dwayne the Rock Johnson is an actor. What I'm really in, I agree with you, absolutely. And but what's interesting about it, both in the what you're talking about in terms of humbling and in terms of the transition from wrestling to acting, is there's a real lack of of ego and dare I say of like machismo. There's no sort of dick swinging happening around Dwayne The Rock Johnson in this art. Do we have to keep saying Dwayne The Rock Johnson? What are we doing now? Yeah, let's just call him The Rock. Somebody in this article <laughs> referred to him as DJ, yeah. uh, one of his publicists, and I wonder if that's a thing they're trying to do. But at the same time, I don't think that I'll ever see The Rock um, decide to be like, hey, I'm a thespian now, so drop The Rock from, you know, my credits. I am just from this point forward to be known as Dwayne Johnson. I don't, you know, I don't see him ever being that either. But to go back to the very beginning of this podcast and the suggestion from one of the readers to call the podcast Machinations, talking about deciding who to meet, doing the homework about who needs to be met with and what the marketing and publicity is and understanding the nuts and bolts of the business, those are machinations. And not a lot of actors will tell you that they do their homework in that way. They'll say, I just wanted to be creative. I wanted to tap into the part of my talent, blah, 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 blah. And I really appreciate that he was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I also know the numbers. I know the fucking marketing. I know this. I know that. And yeah, I like playing characters. Are you more attracted to the confession of the hard work uh, that, oh, yes, I wanted to work hard? Or the uh, or the fact that he's, I guess, uh, yeah, are you more attracted to the confession of, yes, I was working so hard, or the willingness to do the work? Which is the more attractive, more interesting aspect of this article and now this person? Well, it's a specific type of confession. You know, actors confess all the time about what their work looks like, but it's always about character motivation. It's always about like the process, finding who she is mm. and whatnot. And very few of them confess, as you know, you use that word, to the extras, the other parts of what their job actually is. You know who the most unlikely confessor, and I want to thank um, uh, an, a reader called VS for, for pointing this out to me. He sent me, VS, um, uh, uh, an interview with, of all people, Michael Shannon. Now, Michael Shannon could be grouped into the group of actors that is all about motivation and blah, blah, blah. Michael Shannon just did this interview while promoting Nocturnal Animals, during which he talked about his Oscar campaign last year. And he talked very willingly in his Michael Shannon way um, about campaigning. Michael Shannon admitted to campaigning, and it was ultimately unsuccessful last year for 99 Homes, but he ultimately admitted... Of all people, Michael Shannon admitted to enjoying the Oscars, um, kind of wanting one, and campaigning for an Oscar, and how hilarious it was that last year he campaigned for an Oscar, didn't even get a nomination, and the guy who didn't campaign at all and didn't bother with it, Mark Rylance, for Bridge of Spies, got, got the Oscar. But what was remarkable is that somebody like Michael, Michael Shannon, who a lot of actors look up to because he kind of has a I don't give a fuck attitude, gave a fuck. And I think that's what it is, why you defended Anne Hathaway after the Oscars and James Franco. I, I like it when someone gives a fuck about all of it. I agree. And who will admit that it's not just random, right? That there is a process to be followed. This is something that we're hearing more and more about as we talk about you know, stuff in the world and this and that, there are codes and there the codes open doors. And if you don't know the codes, you never get there, right? But he is kind of shining a light on, no, it's not that you just magically get the magic role that then magically gets you the Oscar when you're 22 right. years old. There are a set of codes, there are a set of processes that you go to and a set of things you say yes to yeah. that position you to be in the position to campaign. Well, and especially in The Rock's case, in this article, he's actually 
kind of revealing to us what these secret codes look like, especially for his career. I mean, he clearly says in this interview, um, you're not going to see me all of a sudden out of the blue in a slice of life drama. Um, there's a smarter way to bridge the gap. You've got to build to it. I'm in this business to serve the audience. That's the number one thing. It's not, well, I would like to do this or that. So what he's saying here, and then his manager continues, is that they have a strategy. They are moving the rock from movies with numbers, Duanna, and things that blow up, to perhaps in five or six years, we might see the rock in a drama, a family drama. But that to me is amazing because, you know, there aren't often things behind the scenes in articles like this or things to parse, but I love that because that tells me that's where he wants to go. That's the biggest stretch. And not because I think, you know, this article goes on and talks about his truck and how he likes his truck and like dude has money. Um, and there's no money to be made in family dramas anyway. You make the money in like Moana and in the movies with numbers. Um, <laughs> but that tells me a lot. It tells me that that's a goal of his. And it tells me that that's a goal because it's so far away. It's attractive because it's so far away. It's like me setting a goal that I would like to be an astronaut. There is so much between here yeah. and there yeah. that it's crazy, but also amazing to watch somebody work towards it. So I am more interested in that than if he said, I want to have a production company and and make all my own films and have control of it. Anybody can have a production company. Anybody can have a, a shingle. Yeah. Um, and probably get films made. There's another part in the article where he talks about, like, I didn't used to be able to get movies greenlit. Uh, I was not that person. The Rock can now get a movie made basically just by signing on and saying, yes, I'll yes. do it. That movie will go into production. Correct. Um, so to to stretch even further and to know, because it's calculated not just to get there and get the roles, it's now saying, and this is something I find very interesting, he doesn't really have a lot of failures, right? He is watching the audience and serving the audience so that each and every project he chooses is a commercial success. Yes. Which buys him the next success. Isn't that amazing? It's, well, it's amazing and it's also so, um, it's, it's also a business plan. Like you think about businesses when there's a product launch or whatever the business is selling there is a strategic plan that is a step-by-step guide that if you asked for it, it would be made available to you if you're an investor. Now, with a, an actor's career, it also follows a business plan. All actors, as you know, Duanna, probably better than most, um, sit down with their managers and they decide, hey, what are the kinds of things we want to be doing? Here's where I'm going to move you along. Oh, no, I don't want to do this. His manager is saying here, we're going to naturally move into a space that encompasses also some drama, but it'll be done in an elegant way where the audience knows and it makes sense and it's meaningful. We'll get there. Now, what I like about that is it's treating the career like a business. But I want to pause you for a second because you said all actors sit down with their managers and have these talks and I'm saying, no, my friend. I think that's how it should be. Oh, okay. I think all right. that's how it is designed to be, and that's really when we hear and mock people who say, oh, so-and-so has a team around them, that's what that team is supposed to be discussing, how to market this person as a product. Right. I don't think it happens one-tenth as often as we think it does for a few reasons. One of the reasons is sometimes the actors don't want to hear it, right? Somewhere, somebody along the way, Dwayne Johnson doesn't know everything. So somebody told him, you can't just go from being The Rock to being in a drama. You have to take it in steps. He studied. He learned. Lots of people don't study and learn. They stomp their feet. Why aren't I Jennifer Lawrence? Why don't I get, why didn't I get that role that Natalie Portman got when, meanwhile, you're never going to get that role? Um, A lot of people find that their reps only want to see them in a certain way. I think that he probably did a really good job choosing the people that he works with because they want to work with him, move with him. There are a lot of people who would be like, why are you walking away from all these giant paychecks? Don't go do the movie that's going to go to Sundance and you're going to make scale. Why would you do that? So I think that there's a lot of discerning choices that you're talking about that not a lot of actors make. And that's what makes this interesting too. 
to me also the i mean i i i i definitely see your point that that's the way it should be not a lot of actors follow it and yet i also feel that many of the successful actors definitely are sitting down and writing their business career plans with their management but they're not going to tell us that like for instance 100% Brie fucking Larson and her agent and manager have sat down and plotted the course of where Brie Larson has come where you know she did room she won the oscar for room and her next two big projects are you know she's coming out with a huge king kong movie or kong skull island movie uh in the spring and then she's going to do an, a Marvel movie. That was a strategic plan. You're never going to hear, I predict, Brie Larson in an interview with the LA Times being like, my manager and I sat down and we plotted out, essentially, we plotted out the course of my career because, you know, now that I've done fucking, you know, a, a, a movie, sundance whatever for scale, I can now do the big movies and this is what I want. No, it's going to be like, I really felt like I could be Mar- Captain Marvel from the heart and I saw a lot of the the humanity in her and I really blah, 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 blah. Fuck off. Just tell me, tell me that you sat down and this was a business plan. I love that. And I will say one more reason why The Rock is amazing is Brie Larson or anybody else can sit down with her team and pick and plot because they now have 10 or 15 offers in front of them. Right. Because she is an Oscar winner. That's what happens. He's not. He built his career on one choice after another at a time when I don't think there were necessarily 15 offers in front of him. Now, yes. Then, no. Fascinating. Is there, though, like, could a female rock happen in the sense of, would we, or collectively society, judge a woman who had a plan like this? Or would we view her with suspicion? Well, what? She plotted this? The machinations of her? I'm trying to think of who we think is the most calculated in that way. I think comedians get away with a lot in that way. Um, In terms of there being a more ascribed path and an understanding that you have to do a little of everything, a little writing, a little this, a little that. Um, But I think, no, I think that actresses are under a bigger obligation to make it look easy. And to be charming, and it's harder and harder to play the long game. Which brings us to somebody else that we kind of talked about in the same context, right? Yeah. So we also really reacted this week to the uh, Gabrielle Union interview in Harper's Bazaar. Yes. And so the thing about Gabrielle Union that I think people don't really know is she has been steadily working for decades. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, What's the first thing you remember her from? I don't know if this is going to like make me look bad, but bring it on. Sure. I don't think that makes you look bad. It's a, it's a famous clip. We see it all the time. It's an iconic movie at this point, right? Uh, Sure. Okay. Absolutely. It's a, it's part of our pop culture language. Yeah. Um, And I always think about 10 things I hate about you. And she played the, the best friend of Larissa Olenek, i.e. who? Uh, But Larissa Olenek was a big deal. She had just done The Secret Life of Alex Mack. It was a very grown-up move for her. Anyway, uh, if I look at her IMDb, it goes back as far as, you know, one-off appearances on Moesha and Family Matters and Saved by the Bell, the new class. She has been working for decades. Yes. And yesterday you said to me, well, I'm sad it's only happening for her now. Right. She's older. She's 44. Sure. She is. No. Uh, yes, 44. She is 44 years old and um, has never been more famous than she is now. Absolutely. Which is really like, I mean, I, I get it. It's super encouraging if we're going to talk about longevities of careers and when they peak. Mm-hmm. Like if she's on the way to peaking and she hasn't peaked yet at 44, oh my God, wouldn't it be exciting if she peaked at 50, 55? Absolutely. Yes. But yet I feel like the people who were famous when she was 30 and were 30 then, I mean, who are they? Probably, probably she could easily stand up if not surpass them in intrigue, in talent, whatever. That's what I mean. 
Right. And so what's interesting about what's happening with Gabrielle Union now is that she's really, you know, she's in the spotlight because of Birth of a Nation, which had nothing happened, had Nate Parker not happened, had anything not happened, would still have been a big, big news-generating, headline-generating movie this year. Then with Nate Parker and the allegations that came, that were sort of revealed to have been levied against him that he kind of didn't deny and didn't apologize for, she was thrust into this role of having to be somebody who reacted to them. And you guys can email and argue with me. I was delighted in in places where we feel like, look, let me qualify that statement. You never want to be delighted when somebody's talking about terrible things and allegations like this and her own sort of victimizing situations. But when we talk about what people should say or what you hope they say or whatnot, Gabrielle Union has stepped up. Yes? Yes. Said all the things we hope we would hear. Definitely. And has not stopped. The the teaser to this Harper's Bazaar article, which has a lot in it, but the, you know, the clickbait headline was, uh, Gabrielle Union has told off Lena Dunham and is gearing up to tell off Amy Schumer. Right. Like it's the clickbait. But she's kind of been put in this position of saying the things. So how do we feel about that as part of her brand, as part of her strategy? Well, I think that for Gabrielle Union, in answering this, I'm going to go back to what you said about Chrissy Teigen last week, which is 100% she's just living her life and doing her, saying what Gabrielle Union wants to say. And if she's benefiting from it at the same time, so be it. Good. Absolutely. Um, No, I have no problem. I want more. However… I would argue that this is new, right? Like nobody knew that the sidekick in 10 Things I Hate About You was, was, you know, being opinionated and saying the things that she thought and so forth. So with a higher profile comes the permission to say the things you want to say. Is that a true thing? Um, and if you have that higher profile, do you have the obligation to say the things you're supposed to be saying? Or that you feel like you wish you said. Yeah. And especially, I mean, Gabrielle Union, even though we're talking about how it's right now the time of the ascension of Gabrielle Union, is, let's be honest, not Jennifer Lawrence. Absolutely not. It's still a risk to her in some ways. What I think is really interesting is um, there's a quote here. So, of course, Birth of the Nation, Birth of a Nation was going to be a big, big movie, right, for this awards season. And uh, her role in it is small and is uh, wordless. Correct. There are no actual lines. And there's a, a really great segment of this article that reads, part of the reason she was comfortable not having any lines and having a very small part in the film is the eventual platform it would give her. I was going to then go on a press tour and be able to say all the things I've wanted to say that I've been saying for the past 25 years, whether that be testifying before Congress or state legislatures, to the biggest audience I was ever going to get to listen to me talk about sexual assault and the history of sexual assault being used as a weapon of mass destruction against black female bodies. My God, that's amazing. And that was the plan. That was the strategy. Then the story around the movie changes. And she's still here. So is she capitalizing on her opportunity? Was this cover set months before, you know, the the controversy ever came out? How do you steer out of an unexpected problem like the one she found herself in the middle of when it turned out Birth of a Nation was not going to be what everybody thought it was? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Well, I'm not sure that required that required a reset at all. I mean, I think that's the beauty of it. Um, but again, I go back to the fact that Gabrielle Union, um, the pro and con of not being a Jennifer Lawrence, is that there was, you know, there wasn't a lot riding on Gabrielle Union. Like, I don't think the studio was like, Gabrielle Union is going to be our go-to. She ended up being the go-to for this film almost. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. In the absence of Nate Parker to put a face to this movie, because apparently at the beginning it was going to be see this movie to support Nate Parker, it almost became, if you are going to see this movie, see it for Gabrielle Union. But don't you think that's a benefit to her? I'm not suggesting she's capitalizing of on… Of course it's a benefit to her. Isn't that… But isn't that great? Isn't that… A, do we think that this is going to change the trajectory of Gabrielle Union? And if it doesn't, why not? I, I feel like absolutely. The last six months, Gabrielle Union has been more high profile than ever. And um, it is… Yes, it is going to be a twist of fate or circumstance in the history of Gabrielle Union, when we study her in 25 years and her career, it is a seminal moment, for sure. She is also uh, shooting Being Mary Jane, which is a series that has been on BET kind of quietly and unassumedly for years. And there were some kind of contract uh, distractions. I don't know exactly what her contract says, but I think she's about to be freer than she's ever been the, you know, the sort of complaint people have about working on a series, although the seasons are now much shorter, is you don't have time always to do a lot of feature films. You have time maybe to tuck in one and not necessarily to be the lead. When that show finishes, is she suddenly available for all kinds of things? And what would we like to see? Yeah. You know, is it, are there rom-coms in her future? Are there light things as well as heavy? Or are we holding out, if we're Gabrielle Union's team, for the big stuff, for Sundance, for all the the really amazing roles that have eluded her thus far. And now I'm going to call myself out too, though, because prior to this year, um, or even earlier this year, before the birth of the nation, uh, the before the birth of a nation controversy, I'd see women like Viola Davis and Taraji P. Henson win awards and they'd get up on stage and they'd shout out the sisters who are, who were fighting the good fight and on the same side and trailblazing. Yeah. And Gabrielle Union was always mentioned. And when Gabrielle Union was mentioned, and this is before Birth of a Nation, I would say to myself, huh, she's in Being Mary Jane. Like, I know her from this and that. Wow. Like, she's she's made the list with Carrie – Washington with all these other women, and I and I'll call myself out. I was like, "Does Gabrielle Union belong on that list?" Like, you know, and is she on that level? But clearly, behind the scenes in her own community, with this in the solidarity of black actresses who have been making huge strides in the business, clearly she was doing her work, and they were recognizing it before I was recognizing it, and I admittedly now, and of course, this is my shortcoming, wasn't woke to it um, until until the last six months. But it was a thing where a lot of people knew that Gabrielle Union was one to watch um, before, I guess, general stupid gossip bloggers did. Do you right. know? And, and basic, basic bloggers. Hi. Well, I will always, you know, there are conversations that happen at uh, entertainment shows and things where people talk about, wow, well, that person's kind of B-list, C-list. I am always a big fan of keeping your eye on the B-list and C-list because uh-huh. you can watch it happen and it's fascinating when it happens and you get to be smug about having been on the inside track. Uh, and one thing, as you were saying, oh, they all knew her, uh, you know, when people are typecast for any role… Everybody, when you walk in an audition for any given role, if you get that audition, everybody in that audition will look just like you. It's a million, you know, tiny blondes or a million Asian women with really long hair or whatnot. So 
I love the idea that partly the the sisterhood and that bond that you were talking about was formed uh, in and around competition. Yeah. Even as they're competing for the role, knowing that one or the other is going to get the role, they're also meeting, bonding, uh, not always getting to work together because there's often only one role to go around, but sort of building those relationships is, it's a neat thing. So it will be interesting to see what the path is for Gabrielle Union. And one of the things I love about life, but specifically Hollywood, is there can only be one path, right? You can only do your path. There's nobody's established road to follow. Um, and so I'm also interested in this other path that uh, a lot of actresses are taking, but to kind of different effects. Uh, and that is the like actress memoir that mm. is now happening. The humorous essay actress book memoir thing that has been happening and is now like a kind of an accepted genre yeah uh in in reading uh, we are lucky enough you especially to read lots of books get lots of books get to know lots of books um so what are some memoirs that have shown up at your house recently well um, the Kathy Griffin one, mm -hmm. it's not quite a memoir and she's written so many books. Like this was not her first book, but, um, Kathy Griffin's Celebrity Run-Ins from A to Z. Uh, that's the one I read this week. Is that week. what it's called? Yes. <laughs> that's so amazing. She, yeah, exactly. Like, so the first one I believe is Woody Allen. Are Allen. they alphabetical? So here, let me show you because you haven't seen it. Um, sorry, it's Kathy Griffin's Celebrity Run-Ins. My A, to, my A to Z index. And I'm saying Z, obviously, because she's American. Uh, if she was Canadian, I would say Z. Okay. Anyway, so here's the index. And it starts with, yes, it's alphabet. This is amazing. <laughs> Abdul, comma, Paula. Abrams, comma, Gerald W. Abrams, comma, JJ. Abzug, comma, Bella. This is the best. It, I didn't realize that it was alphabetical. I'm delighted. Anyway, I wrote about it this week because she tells some pretty hilarious stories. Like the Harry Styles one was really funny. But specifically, the one I texted you about was the story that she tells about Anna Kendrick, right. who also this year has, right now at the same time, has released her um, memoir, funny, whatever. Essays, book of essays, um, which I believe came out uh, a couple of weeks ago and is called Scrappy Little Nobody. That's right. And so Kathy Griffin does not like Anna Kendrick. Uh, they had a run-in. Their mm -hmm. run-in happened in Toronto at the Toronto International Film Festival. And apparently, um, you know, uh, it was, what, 2011? And... Kathy was there for an event, hosting an event, and um, she tells a story about how Jessica Chastain was at the event, and Jessica Chastain was not quite what Jessica Chastain is right now, and was super friendly. She ran up to Kathy and was like, oh my God, you know, hi, and whatnot. And um, she, Kathy was with a friend, and her friend saw Anna Kendrick sitting at a booth, and her friend was a big fan of, you know, um, Up in the Air and Anna Kendrick and, and Twilight and whatever. And her friend wanted to go say hi. And they went over to say hi. And Anna Kendrick, according to Kathy Griffin, was a big bitch and super, like, get away from me. Um, I, bye. But in a kind of muted way, right? Like, this is, when you sort of mentioned it, I was like, well, but then when I read it, the 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 way she writes about what she said, it's not over the top, which is maybe why it's more believable, right? Right. So I'll just read you. It's a very quick passage. So Kathy walks up, says to Anna Kendrick, hi, it's nice to meet you. Then I think I complimented her on Up in the Air and her Oscar nomination for it. Really simple chit-chatting, maybe 30 seconds. Then there was a pause. And since I'm not afraid of pauses in conversation, I just kept talking. Then she looked at me and very unabashedly said, um, I have to ask you to go. My cousin's here visiting and we need to catch up. And ladies and gentlemen, at that moment, I just wanted to die. I had nothing. I probably said something like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, ah, ha, ha, and bolted. So what's interesting about this story is that behind the scenes, we have heard stories like this, that Anna Kendrick might not be the warmest person that she's not the girl from Pitch Perfect, which is actually her public image. So this is new. This is kind of maybe one of the most overt 
instances that we've had of Anna Kendrick in real life being, hey, not quite the people pleaser, not the perky, you know, sunshine that I think most casual gossip and pop culture observers, um, that would be their impression of Anna Kendrick. Interesting. An interesting sort of new facet to her personality and Mm. reputation. Well, do you believe the story? I do. I I do do believe the story. Does it mean that I hold it against Anna Kendrick? I mean, I think that's the, that's the conversation. Well, do, yeah, it is a conversation because it's, do you have to be, look, everybody wants to be that girl's best friend. Two minutes on her Twitter, I want to be her best friend. She's hilarious. She's ridiculously funny and she gets it and she gets the Hollywood thing and she gets the like expectations on being a girl and I am thrilled to, you know, to want to read her. But this is the thing that comes up over and over again. Does that add up to a person who is a nice person to be around, who we want to spend time with one-on-one? And if it doesn't, is that okay? Like, do you think this story is going to have any impact on on Anna Kendrick? On Anna Kendrick, the person, or on the career thereof? Oh, no. I don't think anyone's going to pretend that Kathy Griffin having a story about Anna Kendrick being not that warm and not that inviting is going to affect Anna Kendrick. What I wonder about is whether or not, um, you know, as Anna Kendrick's career progresses, she leans into and is more and more okay with, hey, I don't have to be nice to everybody all the time. You know, sometimes I am going to be, um, I'm going to be not liked. Right. And kind of a dick. And I chose that word on purpose because what we're talking about here is not being a bitch, right? It's not, uh, that line that you love from Mariah Carey saying, I don't know her. Um, when asked about, uh, who was it? Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> it's not like the brattiness back and forth with like Taylor Swift and Katy Perry. It's not girly, right? It's being generally grumpy, kind of dicky. It's also not, nobody is talking about Anna Kendrick not coming out of her trailer for hours and like she's showing up to do the work. Yeah. She's not unprofessional. Right. But I do think that there is this idea of Anna Kendrick being somebody who if you run into her at the airport and you're like a garden variety civilian, Anna Kendrick's going to be a certain way. And I'm, and I'm actually really interested in what happens when maybe it becomes more and more um, common knowledge that she might not be. She yeah. might just be like, hey, yeah, I'm going to get my flight now. See ya. Thanks. Right. And what's fascinating about that is that that's what we love about the characters she plays, right? That's what made Pitch Perfect so exciting to people is that she was like, yeah, no. Everybody wants the freedom to be that person. Anna Kendrick, is Anna Kendrick wish fulfillment? Is she in being little and cute and getting all the lead roles and being an awesome singer who can belt a Disney song like nobody's business, but is able to still be kind of sarcastic and talk about weed. And, you know, I'm looking at a Twitter here that says that she swore in a church the other day and then was like, sorry, Jesus. Like, people want to be that person. So we've been talking through this whole podcast about crafting an image. Is it in Anna Kendrick's best interest not to be that nice, not to be that warm and friendly? Is it if it's not going to cause a problem for her at the box office, and we think it probably won't, is leaning into this actually a strategy of its own? Well, sometimes when I hear things like this and we have conversations about Anna Kendrick, I wonder whether or not that would have served Anne Hathaway better. There's a skill set there that is quite similar. Oh, 100%. Like, this is the key, right? And I'm actually getting excited because I'm realizing more and more as we're talking. The the antidote to being Anna Kendrick, I, I really liked uh, the book, by the way. Scrappy Little Nobody is about sort of who she was when she was coming up. And all of the things that we've heard about her are true, right? She was on Broadway at 12. She was auditioning uh, and was going to sort of theater camps and, and the whole thing and wanted to be that eager, eager theater kid who had all the things And what's fascinating, and she knows that and she acknowledges it, but the antidote to that, to being too eager, too much, too excited about everything, is to be kind of an asshole. 
we have found somebody for whom being an asshole is maybe a bit of a career strategy. You know, you remember when, uh, to, to take your point about Anne Hathaway, remember that photo of Anne Hathaway in a bikini posing uh, for the paparazzi and the, the caption or the whatever was something to the effect of, if I don't show it to you, then they're just going to steal it. So here you go. Like when she was pregnant. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. Like imagine she had done that same photo, bikini, pregnant belly, smiling, two big middle fingers up. What would have happened to the Anne Hathaway brand? Would it have been damaged irreparably? Nope. Would it have done anything detrimental to the way people think about her? No. Could it have been positive? Yeah, maybe. Anne Hathaway suffers from being trapped in this good girl thing that she can't escape. Anna Kendrick, meanwhile, talks about smoking weed and kind of being a dick and the references in her book about all kinds of things and about sort of the financial realities of being uh, a young and out-of-work actor kind of balance out the part of her that plays Cinderella in Into the Woods, which is itself kind of a dystopia fantasy. But it's it's a real sweet and sour kind of thing, which is really interesting. I liked when you were telling me about her book in particular, her relationship with money. It's really interesting. It's one of the first things that you mentioned to me after you read the book. It's fascinating. I don't know if it's intended to be there. Um, kudos to like the editors and teams and Anna Kendrick, who wrote the book. And by the way, I feel like she probably wrote the book as opposed to some places where I'm not sure if people do. But there's a lot in there that apologizes for now making money. She talks at length about how Twilight kept her out of poverty, that there were people who wanted to be snarky or weird about the fact that she was in the Twilight movies in and around uh, the Oscar bait that she was doing at the time. And she was, you know, she was only able to pay rent and buy groceries because of Twilight. She did not grow up wealthy. The uh, financial sacrifices that her parents made to allow her to be on Broadway did not sit well with anyone in the family, in a sharp contrast to the stories we've heard of, you know, Mama and I picked up and moved to L.A. Everybody gave up everything for my dream. uh, You know, uh, Millie Bobby Brown is the most recent… Yes. Sort of visual for that, you know. Um, So I'm, she is the first person that we're seeing. Look, I know some prickly people. You know some prickly people. We're probably prickly people. uh, You are. Um, (laughs) No, but I'm, I'm saying that because you can be prickly and I often strive to be more prickly. I often resent that I am not quicker with a, with a cut eye and a, to be annoyed when I'm annoyed. And I think there's immense freedom there. And we may be seeing one of the realest young celebrities going. Uh, And something that I feel like has not been allowed uh, until you're much bigger and higher profile in previous generations, right? Like even Julia Roberts, who has all her kind of zingers and and cutting things to say, kind of does them with a bit of a smile and a bit of that big old Southern hair. Yeah. Uh, so either Anna Kendrick is not that nice a person to be around in person, or she's forging an entirely new path to being an A-list actress or both. But how do you feel about it? What is, does it change your opinion of her? If we accept this, how do we feel? Does it change anything? It doesn't change anything. I think she's very talented. Like I, I, you know, I'm always interested in what she's going to do and what she's doing. My interest primarily is the reaction. Like I want to know because to go back to the beginning, I don't think that there are people listening to this who knew that Anna Kendrick had this side. Right. And I want to know what that reaction is going to be. Because you know what? It always happens. We get the emails. Oh, really? That girl isn't like, like I won't want to hug her. And that is what I'm interested in challenging. Yes. 
people's expectations. That's right. And, situa- and whether or not it winds up okay. Because as we know, like God knows there are prickly men who remain A-lists, right? So… But it's not just that. It also, there's a little bit of race involved. We'll expect or we'll be okay, I mean collectively, socially, if, you know, the sassy black woman is quick with a comeback and… and but the minute that our homegirl, all-American, she fits a certain physical profile, cute, smile, big teeth, she has a rough side? Really? Is that going to be okay? Well, was it okay with Reese Witherspoon who mouthed off to the police officer? Did that impact her in a, in a meaningful way? I, I don't think. It's, no, well, no, of course not. And yet it was conveniently forgotten. Right. That is not, you know, it's why I loved that episode because I was like, that's the true her. You want to, from one side of your mouth, respect law enforcement and when you're wrong, be respectful. And then you have your golden girl come out and be like, fuck you, cop. Look up my name. Do you know my name? Do you know who I am? But it was so conveniently forgotten. That is not the Reese Witherspoon. If you pulled 10 people walking down the street right now, nobody remembers that about Reese Witherspoon. What they remember is sweet as pie, Southern girl. She probably has the best manners. She's the nicest. So she was trying to hide it. But in, yeah. But what's interesting about uh, Kathy Griffin's book, which I'm sure went through bajillions of lawyers, uh, and about Anna Kendrick's own book, is maybe it's not hiding transparency. Mm, That's right. She and Kristen Stewart is in the same mold, right? If I put out there all the aspects of who I am, there's nothing for you to find or discover or be mad at. Well, and we can go back to Dwayne The Rock Johnson for that. Here's my transparency about how I manage my career. I'm kind of super into it. So, you know, the the sum total of this discussion is I'm now ironically (laughs) more on side than ever. (laughs) We've now linked for you The Rock and Anna Kendrick. That's right. There's a a real direct link (laughs) And musicals. Right. We've now come to the last part of our podcast, and we we want to sort of, um, from time to time, read out, call out some emails that we get. Yeah. I mean, I got a rant. I got a big rant going on. Um, And I had a really nice uh, narrative link here, if you want to have it. Uh, Okay. You know, some other memoirs uh, of some young actresses that we've talked about are young, medium-sized, medium-aged, whatever. Uh, there was an Eden Share one that came out recently. That was more about emotions. There was Mara Wilson. There was uh, Amy Schumer. There was the Judy Greer. There was so forth. Lauren Grams comes out uh, tomorrow. And so when we were talking about what we talked about this week, we sort of said, oh, no, we're not really going to talk about Gilmore Girls, even though it dropped on Friday, because... We covered it, right? We talked about people being excited about it and how you were feeling and so forth. But a thing happened this week. And, and you're not talking about the the Netflix release. I'm talking about a reaction to the release that really annoyed me. Um, and I actually may need you to tell me if I'm if I'm out of control on this one. I don't know if I'm if I'm off base or not. I got really frustrated and wrote about it on on Laney Gossip. The, the fact that Jimmy Fallon was now stumping for uh, Gilmore Girls. Oh, no, guys, it's amazing. And, and people asking him, well, Jimmy, are you serious? As, as though, and he's like, no, yeah, I really am. I'm really serious. It's amazing. So I ranted and wrote about this. And as I sometimes do, I just presented you with a rant fully formed and said I will be <laughs> ranting about this today. Um, what was your reaction? Did you have one? Well, first of all, I hate Jimmy Fallon. So I was like, oh, you're going to write a post yelling at Jimmy Fallon? Great. I can't wait to read it. Right. To be honest, that was my motivation at the, be- the beginning. Um, as always, I really just like to read it when it comes in. I, you know, we never really talk through what each of us is writing about anyway. And when I read it, I was like, fuck yeah. I mean… What I took from your post was, oh, suddenly Jimmy Fallon claims it and then it's okay? Well, and so, exactly. Who made him the king validator? And it really, it annoyed me and it came up over and over again this week. There's a Globe and Mail TV columnist named John Doyle uh, who wrote, the Gilmore Girls is not as important as it thinks it is. Uh, And 
my reaction was to who? Who says? Who cares? Um, you know, so there was Jimmy Fallon, there was John Doyle, and this other man who begins with J. Um, there's this guy, Yasek, who, um, <laughs> you know, told me that, uh, it, that he was so annoyed with how much you were watching the show because uh, the sounds and the sights of it just really annoyed him. And I said, well, what's wrong with it? What is it that bothers you? And he said something like, you know, this is my husband. Yeah, oh, yeah, that Yasek. Not yes. a different Yasek. Um, our Yasek here at, at Lane and Gossip. And uh, you said something to the effect of, you know, who needs to talk that fast? Nobody talks that fast. And I got an email in response to my Jimmy Fallon article that was a little bit annoyed with me. And it said, and I quote, shouldn't you be happy that the reboot has gotten more people to watch a 10-year-old show that was considered a, quote, chick show? Shouldn't you be happy that grown men like Jimmy Fallon are falling in love with said chick show? Here's my thing. We don't need you. We did not need you to like the thing that we liked. My irritation with these men reacting to this show in this way is that because they don't understand it or like it or care about it, it can't be valid. It can't be useful for millions of men and women who really enjoy it. There's something really interesting about people who feel like because they can't see it, it therefore doesn't exist. Or because they are interested in it, it is therefore worthy of anointment. Well, I mean, you, this is, you have gone on a bigger, for, on a bigger scale about this. This is your point about why Grey's Anatomy is um, not generally accepted on the same level as fucking, I don't know, Breaking Bad. Um, you know, whereas you have always said that shows that are qualified or, or, sorry, shows that are marketed and um, beloved by primarily women somehow occupy a lower tier. They are always ghettoized. Absolutely. And people love to talk in the case of Gilmore Girls of, oh, wasn't it on that little network? Or in the case of shows like, yeah, Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, any of the Shonda Rhimes shows, well, aren't they kind of like, they're, they're chick shows to quote this email. And it kills me that people would be surprised that women want to watch shows where women get to do the cool stuff. The Sure, you can talk, oh, this or that show is quality television. Um, and I was the biggest Mad Men fan of anybody. But for the most part, the people doing the coolest shit on that show were men. It doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. But I can also enjoy shows where the people doing the cool shit are women. It's not ghettoizing. It's not somehow lesser because it appeals to women. And talking about celebrity female memoirs, I'm really reminded of this segment in, in Tina Fey's Bossy Pants, which, you know, you can take or leave a lot of these books, but Bossy Pants really still holds up, uh, where Amy Poehler was fooling around doing some weird impression and Jimmy Fallon said, ew, I don't like it. He was just being silly. And Amy Poehler turned around and said, I don't fucking care if you like it. And that, to me, is the key. We don't fucking care if you like it. So the other accusation, though, about, you know, when you say with anything, well, this is not for you, and this came up a lot with uh, when people were annoyed about the casting in Hamilton or anything of the kind. It's like, well, why don't you want more people to, to be involved? Why are you being selfish? Uh, you know, it, it, as somebody wrote, if you love the series so much, you should support it. And the idea is it's not that it's we want it to ourselves, although uh, your relationship with Gilmore Girls yourself is quite private. Yes. I don't really like – I mean, I talk about it on the site, but I don't go around like harassing people to watch it. But I think the idea is not that you don't want more people to watch it, but that they don't need – like a frat boy's permission to do so. And Jimmy Fallon in this context just seems like the biggest frat boy who finally says it's okay to wear a tie-dyed shirt or whatever else it was that had to be passed through, 
you know, the high school student body president before it yeah. could be deemed okay. I think what it is, what you were bumping up against is that the reaction to Jimmy Fallon loving Gilmore Girls wasn't, oh, Jimmy Fallon finally opens his eyes and understands what so many other people have been missing. It was, oh, Jimmy Fallon watches it, so that must mean it's good. And Do you understand the difference there? I understand the difference. And whether the, the question I have is, I don't know if that was people's reaction or if that's what Jimmy Fallon expected people's reaction to be. That's what makes me so crazy. Yeah. Is Jimmy Fallon acting like he was giving it to the public? Here you go, guys. You can watch Gilmore Girls. Or like John Doyle saying, like, it's not for me. Ergo, it's not important to right. anybody. It's one person's decision yeah. making a unilateral choice for everyone. Yep, I agree. It To me, and you're absolutely right, because otherwise Jimmy Fallon would have been like, you know what? I was so stupid. I ignored this show for so long and I was wrong. Or it didn't come on my radar or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, and that happens to all of us. There's too much to watch and we all know we should be seeing all the other shows that we haven't gotten to yet. But the idea of like, no, yeah, it's actually not bad. But you know what bothered me about that email that you read is that when she was saying, my husband, read that part about the husband. I had an email that said, people love Jimmy Fallon. He is the highest rated late night show with the most viewership. And he's encouraging people to watch this great series and give it publicity so that more young girls, women, and even grown men, my husband included, uh, have the chance to fall in love with these characters 10 years later. That's the segment you were. Yeah. And for me, that's like, okay, but you loved it first. I guess you were telling your husband to watch it and he ignored you until Jimmy Fallon told him to watch it. And like, if we took all of our pop culture recommendations from Jimmy Fallon, like <laughs> we'd be really behind the gate. So, I mean, for me, my, my reason for watching Gilmore Girls is you. It's not Jimmy Fallon. So I guess like, does that make, what, to be devil's advocate and to maybe try and defend this reader a little bit, because her point is, hey, but Duanna Laney only started watching the show because you told her to. So how come like it's not okay that other people watch it because Jimmy Fallon told them to? And this week I just wrote to people and I've been saying to people, hey, I've been telling you to read Homegoing by Yagi Asi for a long time. And now Zadie Smith in almost every interview is name checking Yagi Asi's Homegoing. And I'm, it's like, I've been saying, hey, if you don't want to listen to me, can you just listen to Zadie Smith? But I don't know. I'm not sure if I, like, I really, really, Zadie Smith is Zadie Smith. She's not fucking Jimmy Fallon. We just put that out there. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe that's my rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think everybody can advocate, but this is the nature of being a fan of something and trying to convince other people. You kind of know it's an uphill battle and you count each one as a as a bit of a victory. No, Duanna, let's call it what it is. It's the sexism of it. Well, it is the sexism of it because why isn't it? It's because it was validated by a dude, so other dudes would be okay to watch it. Sure. And I want to be clear. I knew and know men who watch and watched it and love it. Um, and in all different ways. Some who casually enjoy it, some who, you know, are rabid fans. Some who just kind of perk up every time there's a kids in the hall on the show. Um, a kid from the hall. Uh, so it's not that this is a, a real hard line. But yeah, it's the idea that Jimmy Fallon had the revelation that a show with girls in the title could be okay for boys to watch. That's it. Because you know he still thinks he's a boy. That's it. Thank you for joining us in this conversation and for our second episode of Maybe Working Class. Let us know if you like the title. See what you think. I'm, I go back and forth. I'm liking machinations too, or maybe we're just going to mention it like a buzzword every time. We should get a bell every time we say the word machinations. Ding! And to those of you who've been asking when this podcast is going to be on iTunes, we are going to start posting it on iTunes after our third episode, so after next week. But thanks for your questions about that. We're very flattered that you want to find us on iTunes. And Google Play and wherever else you might find a, a podcast diet. Okay. Until next time, work hard. Bye.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.